All right. I got to start off tonight by advertising Barbara Snoobook. Uh, but I have another motive for doing it, other than she needs to sell her books and you need to read it. The message in it is for today, too. The Lord, um, he, he mentions when, when Jim Neff got born again, um, I don't know whether he was in the Assembly of God Church. He was here. And, um, but he had that prophecy from the Lord about, if you love me, show me. And uh, he, he, does a, he does a fantastic job. Right now, we're gonna, I'm going to do a video in a minute. Turn me down just a little bit, Mike. I'm echoing all over the place. Um, it's the church, we're living in a time now where we're not going to keep doing what we're doing the way we do it. The way you did church has got to change. It's got to change drastically. The way we treat the, the Word of God has got to change. And so um, anyway, Barbara's book, Do You Love Me, Show Me, is a story of Jim. Barbara, I love the way you added to his book by explaining the other side of what was going on. Amen. Now, I got a video I want to show you in a minute, and it's, it's about 30 minutes long. I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. At the end of the video, if you have a notes, take notes of the five things. Um, this, is a, this is a man that I watched him years ago. He was a Southern Baptist part-time pastor, and he was also the sheriff in a community, and he was a moral, very good moral man and a man that was faithful to church. He's one of these people that prayed the prayer, and um, you, you just, you're going to heaven when you die just because you prayed a prayer. Anyway, he has a near-death experience. We don't have the attitude of gratitude. That was my other sermon. We never got to it, so you can take that down. So this is, I heard him on the 700 Club years ago, and when he died, the Lord, he, the, he got to the gate of heaven, and he's arguing with God about the fact that Hezekiah was allowed to live, and he wanted to live, and um, so God told him that he was a self-righteous hypocrite. To his face. He just said, You have lived a, he said, You have no fruit in your whole life. And so he's arguing with God, and finally, finally, God, in this video, you won't see it, but took him and showed him Satan's kingdom. As being a Baptist, he knew nothing of Satan. He said, I heard about him one time my whole life. He said, I heard about him when I was 12 years old, scared the hell out of me. And um, so he, he goes in this, this adventure he has with God, and finally God sends him back. And at the end of it, he says, now I I'm going to send you back, and I want you to go to the churches I send you to, and if, you don't, if, if I'm not sending you, you don't go. And he says, I have a message for my church, and I want you to give it. He's been all over the earth now. Um, but it's a powerful time, it, the, the, what the Lord talked to him about, the days we're living in. And I wanted you to hear it. There's five things he talks about that the church needs to make adjustments. I want you to pay attention to that. It's, it's very, very important. Um, do you want a church on fire? 
He makes several statements in here. Number one, he goes into eternal security and tells you it's a bunch of junk. Uh, the second thing is, is that he talks about is Satan's kingdom. You have an enemy. Then he talks about most churches are not churches at all. The Lord told him, he says, don't you? He said, I'm, I'm going to send you to my church. And, and he talks about going into a spirit-filled church, but he even said, not all people talking in tongues are full of God. And so anyway, uh, it's, it's quite a statement from a former Southern Baptist who got a revelation of the devil and who he is and the authority he has as a believer. So hit play and enjoy it. And uh, by the time we get to the end, I want you to take notes. We're going to talk further about what he said. So someone hit play and let's enjoy this video. So I just want to give a little... She's going to forward fast some of his attack. Now, he was on 700 Club when I saw him. And I started just trying to tear out of him. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow I realized I had panicked. And when I forcefully calmed myself down, I could breathe. With difficulty, but I could breathe. And I knew I was growing weaker because I was hemorrhaging massively. I was able to start my car, and I made it the rest of the way home. Turn those lights When on. I got there, <clears throat> no one was home. Wife was going somewhere. The kids was all going to school. But I struggled to get out of the car. Can't, everything's kind of hazy about how long it took me to get out of the car. I just can't. But anyhow, I made it in the house and fell on the floor right inside. I hadn't been there very long till she came in. My wife came in. One look. She recognized the gravity situation. She got me up, back out into the car, and rushed me into the town, to the very town I just came from, right up in the family clinic. And just as she parked, one of the doctors pulled in his park right in front of us. Well, she ran around, opened the door, and tried to pull me out of the car. By that time, I was so weak I couldn't even lift my hand. I'd lost so much blood. And when she pulled on me, I literally fell out of my car on my face. The doctor stepped out of his car. He saw this. He rushed over to give aid. <clears throat> One look, he knew I was already in shock. Now, they didn't know what had happened to me because I was in shock, but he knew that I was in shock. Later on, they told me what had happened. There is a main artery that runs across the back of the stomach. An ulcer had formed on that artery. Well, they called it silent because it gave me no symptoms. And it had slowly eaten away the wall of that artery until it ballooned out. They call that aneurysm. It just kept on ballooning out till it reached a place that the wall was so thin. The day I stepped in, in the hospital, I mean in the bank door, the, it had reached a place the wall was so thin it couldn't withstand the fresh pressure of the heartbeat. It just popped like you popped a balloon. And that was the massive hemorrhage. Well, <clears throat> they rushed me, they called an ambulance. They rushed me from the uh, local hospital, from the local clinic, family clinic, to the local hospital. They kept me there overnight. Next morning, three times during the night, they brought me out of shock. The next morning, my doctor come in and said, we got to move you. 
We got to have more equipment. We got to have more skilled technicians. We got to have them in a hurry. So we're going to send you to the uh, Regional Medical Center at Macomb, Mississippi. They put me in an ambulance, hooked me up to all that machinery, assigned my wife, allowed my wife to go with us, assigned a paramedic to attend to me, and we took off post haste. 19 miles before we reached that hospital, I lost consciousness. I passed into a world of darkness. I mean, it was so dark that there's no words in the human language to describe crossing the veil. <clears throat> but I passed out in this darkness. I felt, I really felt abandoned all alone. First time I'd ever experienced that kind of darkness. There was no light. And then all of a sudden, I saw something that come right out of the top of that darkness. And it was like a, a, a tape that was just twirling around like this as it come down. You, you ever seen those confederate, confederate, confederate parades in New York where they throw that confederate out the window? It just twirls down. That's what the thing looked like, a single one. And it came, and I watched it. It came all the way down right in front of me. I can't tell you how I saw it because I saw it with no light, no light at all. It's total darkness. But I saw this thing just like this tape. It comes right in front of my eyes and turns just like that three times. And every time it turned, I'm reading it. It's a verse of Scripture, Hebrew chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto all men once to die after this to judgment. It is appointed unto all men once to die after judgment. Three times that thing turned. And three times I read it. When I realized then, this was God's way of supernaturally revealing to me that I had met my appointed time to die. We all know we got dying. But you know, being human, we've dealt with that. We dealt with it in our subconscious. Actually, in reality, we look at death, physical death, at something that happens to others. It don't happen to others. We just put it out of our mind and keep going. If it didn't, it'd drive us crazy. We just put it out of our mind and keep going. But when you come to the realization that it's not others, it's you. It takes on whole new perspective then. I didn't want to die. I left home to win an election, not to die. To uh, die would be total defeat. So I prayed a very short and pointed prayer. I asked God to extend my life. I was familiar with the fact that he had a precedent in his word for extending life. Of course, he extended Hezekiah's life for 15 years. And I knew that, so I asked him to extend my physical life. And then that's when I had the first ever supernatural encounter. Out of that vast darkness come the most beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life. There's no music created that would, would any way mimic the beauty of that sounding of that voice. As the voice spoke to me, the voice said to me, stop, no more pain, peace, rest, security, all that you've ever wanted, just don't breathe. 
I'm breathing by willpower at that point. Every breath just took all the strength I could get in, and when I got it aired, it took all the strength I had to get it out. I'm breathing by willpower. And he's telling me, stop, don't breathe. And my spirit was saying to me, listen, God speaking, God speaking, said, don't breathe. And then I got, to, I got to try to shut it down, what I'm doing. And then the realization hit me as though I screamed as loud as I could in my spirit. No, what am I doing? I just asked God to extend my life. Don't breathe, I'm going to die. You are not God. With that exclamation, Satan fled from me. So this voice, you had just asked the Lord to spare your life, and a beautiful voice said, just let go. Yeah, but look what he said. Listen, you see, just what he said tells what I'd been taught all my security. Security. That's what Baptists teach. Once you save, you save forever, no matter what. That's what they teach. Secure. And he used that on me right away. The first thing he used, security, peace, rest. All you've ever wanted, just stop breathing. There in the valley of death at the door, he lied to me. He told me he was God. He couldn't kill me. He had to get me to kill myself. You better know the spirit that speaks to you. We're all going to come to that same place. I call it the veil. The veil is, is not in this world, and it's not in the other world. It's the door between the two. We all got to go that way. Christians refer to it as crossing Jordan. It's when we pass from this life to the life to come. Once you cross that veil, flesh and blood can't cross it. It can't cross it. So that's when the angels took my spirit out of my body. And we went from darkness to light, just like that. Out of darkness into light. I'd crossed the veil. I was on the other side. The first thing they brought me to see was a verse of Scripture being acted out like a stage play. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, word pruel, powers, word pruel, Rulers of the darkness of the world, the menagerie of our enemy. There was this, looked like a long table with all these beings sitting around. The devil himself is sets it in. And all these spirits are princes that operate the principalities of the dark world. That's where the warfare plans for spiritual war is actually designed and planned. Satan does nothing without plan. He plans everything. Everything is planned. It's right down to the... Uh, so let me show you how it works. Every one of those people, uh, not people, spirits sitting at that table, head of principality, he has divided the world into principalities, territories. Over these territories, he puts a prince. Each prince is given as many demon spirits as he needs to carry out his plan for that principality. You take some continents might be one principality because there might no threat to the kingdom of darkness. Where there's no threat, no major threat to the kingdom of darkness, one prince could handle a whole continent, let's say. But America, 
is many principalities. There's many threats. Even down to an individual could be a principality, depending on what the threat is. But this is how that thing works. As I watched it, <clears throat> they let me see part of a plan that really shook me up because I knew about the plan. I call it a skeleton. It was just an outline, and it was the same identical outline that John was able to see, and he wrote about it in Revelation uh, chapter 13, beginning at verse 7 through 9. And this really shook me up. Revelation 13. Let me get to it. I want to read that. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Revelation 13, 7 through 9. The master plan to capture the world, to capture the church. That's why we've got cotton candy religion today. What is cotton candy religion? Hot air. Doctrines of demons, Paul called. Doctrines of demons are being expounded from the pulpits of so many churches today. He's captured the church, what he said he was going to do. And he's done it. <clears throat> he's already got it. When they brought me, first, they let me see this guy. That's the first thing I saw was this outline. This outline. They let me see that. So John the Baptist wrote about it because I was very weak on spiritual warfare. I'm Southern Baptist. You know, we didn't have too much teaching in that area. Then, in fact, I'd, I'd never heard but one sermon in my entire life that ever mentioned the devil. And uh, that was when I was 12 years old, and it scared the devil out of me. So that's when I first came to the church, you see. And then, no more. Even in the seminary, he was never mentioned. Didn't mention the devil, didn't mention the demons or anything. It was the ministry of the children that first opened my eyes as we brought these children into our home. Most of them had been used, misused, abused. Uh, for instance, the last, girl, the last child they brought into our home, state rescued her that day. She was locked up in a cage with a cat. She's only 18 months old, this little girl. And that, uh, she, the only thing that they said that she'd had to eat for that solid week was the drop-ins of that cat. And that demon-possessed individual that had that little girl got his jollies off by putting his lighted cigarettes out on the bottom of her feet. You ought to have seen her feet. You see, these, this is not human. Something beyond humanity had to do that. This is not human. And, and uh, it was those children, how they had been abused, misused, neglected, and all of them was crying for help. And they came to my house expecting me to help them, and I was the least prepared person in the world. I had no training in the spiritual war at all. I didn't even know. But as I looked at them, I knew that there was a force out there far greater than I knew about. And that's the first thing God took me to see. He educated me quickly. 
He showed me how this is done by design, how spiritual war is done, and how they operate on two emotions in that world, hate and fear. They hate all humans, and they fear their bowls. There's no love in that at all. And that's why he has enforcer enforcing the rules of the satanic world. It is a world without love. There's no love at all there. It is operated by fear and hate. They hate all humans and they fear their boss. They fear him. Now, <clears throat> people don't pay any attention to this. But Satan, show you how devious he is, took one-third of the angels of heaven with him in his rebellion. What did that tell you? When you think about this, there's no dummies in the angel core. And yet he deceived one-third of the angels. How did he do it? This tells about his ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says he's the God of this world. That word God is not a name. It's title. It's translated from the Greek word theos, from which we get our word theology. The definition of English, English in English is divine ruling magistrate high potentate. Think about that. That's his title. Divine means set apart, put above. Ruling magistrate. Who is a ruling magistrate? One that has authority by law to control the conduct of those under his jurisdiction. That's why Satan says 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, verse 26, he can take any lost person at will. He's a divine ruling magistrate. Not long ago, I had a lawyer call me from New York. He says, I have a, a man up here charged with murder. He's got a copy of your book, Demon's Eyewitness Account. It says in there, the devil can make people do what he wants. He wants you to come up here and testify that the devil made him do it. I said, well, I, if you send me a subpoena, I'll come up here and testify what the Bible says. Just what I wrote, what it says. He says, okay. Two weeks later, he called me back. And he says, I said, he said, I'll get the subpoena. Two weeks later, he called me back and said, the judge, get out of here, man. I ain't opening that can of worms in this court. So, <laughs> But <clears throat> he let me see the God of this world at work. And he is a God. All them people out there are serving him and they don't know it. They don't know it. The strongest one are his princes. They're at the top. They're from the giant warring order of demons. They, they, they were actually actually um, uh, a angels who, who fell with him. And uh, angels are, you know, they got some angels that look like animals, some that look like birds. They're, they're all described in the Bible. And uh, they got the, the guardian angel looks just like a human being. And this is why Revelation says, I mean, um, Hebrews says, when you, deal with, when you deal with strangers, be careful. Many times you deal with angels unaware. Now, Brother Howard, you, you good works. You took in abused children. Uh, you were a police officer. You served. But something happened where he said your works weren't acceptable to him. Yes. He says, 
Well, when, when, when I stood before him to plead my case, see, the angels brought me there to plead my case. Because I, all the time I kept asking him, is he going to let me live? I knew that my spirit had been crossed, had crossed the veil. Flesh and blood can't go there. And I knew the only way I could come back, God would have to permit it. And I kept asking the angels every time. I, I still, no matter what I saw, I still was in love with this old piece of clay. And so they brought me there and let me plead. Brought me to the gate. They wouldn't let me, I didn't go in. I came to the gates of the third heaven. And, and they, they told me, I watched 50 saints being perm, permitted to enter the gates of heaven. But they didn't let me go in. They said, they, they, they stopped me, the angel stopped me there and says, well, I got to the gate. And he says, if you go in, you can't come out. You got to stay till he brings you back. I said, if I can't come out, then that means my physical life is over. And you told me I could ask him. Angel said, you can't ask him, but you stand outside this gate and ask him. And so I did. I came and I, 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 I was allowed to plead my case. So and I was, uh, my, I was, I was pleading to God I couldn't see, but I knew it was total silence while I pled my case. I was telling him, all, I reminded him of all my good works. I told him about all the things that I'd done, all the things. That, that's what I was basing on, on my, my good work. I told him about all of that. <clears throat> and when, when I, he was, never said a word till I finished. When I finished, then he answered me in a voice that sounded like thunder. Wasn't anything like the voice that Satan had used on him. He says, he started, I'm going to try to quote verbatim exactly what he says. Your faith is dead. Your works are in vain. The life that you lived and offered to me as a life of Christian service is an abomination that I rejected in the Pharisee. What made you think I would accept it from a Laodicean-type Christian? In fact, untold millions are living the same kind of life that you lived and they stand in danger of my everlasting wrath, unquote, the living God. I couldn't believe he was talking to me. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I just told him about all my good works, what I'd done, you know. And, and, and I said, no, Lord, don't you wait. You don't understand. He said, you didn't do those works for me. You did them for a false God. I said, Lord, I worked for you. I called you Lord every day. Yes, you did, but you never made me Lord. What a difference. To call him Lord gives him a title. To make him Lord promotes him to ruler of life. Who is your Lord? But Lord, I was serving you. No, you wasn't. You served a false God. Then he named him. Satan's number one selling false God. S-E-L-F. Instantly. I knew everything he said was true. Had he reached down and picked me up and dropped me in hell, I would have said amen. But I couldn't move. I'm laying on my face in the spirit. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. They came and angels came and took me away. They took me out and let me regain my composure and brought me back and let me plead the second time. Second time, I never opened my mouth. Then he began to talk to me in a compassionate tone as he said to me, Suddenly I realized, this is my father, and I heard him. He was hurting for me. 
The God that created all of this was hurting for me. The smallest, insignificant piece of flesh that he had, he was hurting for me. Nothing mattered now. I didn't ask him for my life. I didn't ask him for anything else. But when this life meant nothing, he gave it back. Sent me back to do what I'd done. Pay, give me a five-point message for the church and give me, place two restrictions on me. Restriction one was that I was not to ask anybody to hear this because he was sending me to his church. I didn't know what, it, what was his church, but he knew which one was his church. He was sending me to his church. All I had to do was go wherever I'm asked. When I get an invitation, put it down. Get to it when I can. And if I'm not supposed to go there, he closed the door. But if he opened the door, no man would close it. And that's the way it's been ever since. The five-point message he gave me, the point one, this is number one point. This is the Laodicean church age in which we live today. This is the Laodicean church age where the overwhelming majority of so-called Christians are just that, so-called. They're mouth professors and not heart possessors. And unless they wake up, he's going to spew them out of his mouth. He promised to do that, you see. But he gave them a chance. In his word, he gave them a chance. If they wake up, if they wake up. Point number two, your adversary is a personal and powerful adversary, Satan the devil. He is, or he is anointed. Point number three, if you ever, ever expect to have any of God's power manifest in your life, you're going to have to live the life. Not talk it, you got to walk it. And point number four, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What he's saying there, keep your eye on the eastern sky because your redemption draweth nigh because we have reached the days of Noah once again. And we look in history and in the Bible to see how it was in the days of Noah. And we see that mankind had but two priorities, wealth and pleasure, wealth and pleasure, wealth and pleasure. Everything else is secondary that's where it was in the days of Noah. And he said it was going to be that day that way again. And we have reached that stage. Point number five. Now, this is one that really, the main one, the one that he sent me back for. And a lot of people can't comprehend this. What he said was, let me go back to Matthew Matthew, in writing, was quoting John the Baptist when he said this in chapter, number, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. He said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, so to speak, is going to come with fire. 
he's going to burn up the chaff in the, in the Christian. So a lot of people think that uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidence speaking in, uh, in tongues. Well, it, it might be. But by the same token, the real evidence is the fire burning the chaff out of the individual. And that's going to take tribulation. How would you summarize that fifth point then? The fifth point is the baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. True baptism of the Holy Spirit. We got some people that come to church and talk in tongues all day and go to the honky-tonk first thing Monday morning. You know who they are. You know who they are. But the fire is coming. The true baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to bring fire in the the chain for the life of the individual. That's your five points for the church. And that was the message the Lord gave to you. Right, right. The five-point message to the church. And the fun, fun, I didn't know where the church was because everything it calls itself is church is not a church. Brother Howard, you talked about you saw a certain amount of people die and enter heaven. But yes, at the same time, how many, what was it the Lord showed you about people that didn't make it? 97% didn't make it. 2,000, they showed me his harvest for 15 minutes span of time. 15 minutes span of time. They occurred August 3rd, 1979 from where the paramedic judged my body to be dead until it arrived at the hospital. In that 15 minutes, 50, I, I was allowed to see 50 saints that go into heaven. That was some total of his harvest on the planet Earth for 15 minutes span of time. In that same 15 minutes, 1,900 and, and, and uh, more people died. 950 more died. Only 50 out of 2,000 made it, 2.5%. That dovetails with just exactly what he said in Matthew Seven, for many will say to me in that day, but Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name? Have we done many marvelous works in your name? In your name have we done all this work? And he will say, depart from me, and I renew you, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You were never saved. Not that you were saved one day and turned your back. You, I never knew you. You were never mine. Two and a half percent. Now, they let me see that because on August 3rd, 1979, that was the condition of the planet Earth. Had that been the day the trumpet would have blown so loud it would wake the dead, he would have got 2.5% of the population of the world. 2.5%. He, he, he allowed me to tour the second heaven, which is Satan's kingdom. He allowed me to tour the whole kingdom and see the different spirits that, that, that it has. And uh, that was the first thing because I was weak. I was weak in, in that training. I, uh, you know, sometimes I remember in the seminary we had professors come and tell us one time teaching how to go to heaven was like climbing the mountains. They got somebody come up that side, somebody up this side, somebody up this. But when they get there, they're all at the top. Well, that, right now that's a doctrine that's very popular in the Christian church. You be, you know, you're a good old boy. You're going to make it and all that stuff. God loves you. Don't worry about it. Hey, we got the devil under his feet, and he's laughing all the way to the bank. Somebody say amen. I got to hear him years, several years ago 
where he went into a lot more detail. He didn't do it tonight on this video. Where the Lord took him between the angel bringing him the first time and the second time. Took him through the universe and let him see Satan's kingdom. Now, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. You, one of the problems the church has today, when I say the church, I'm not talking about the charismatic faith and word church. You, you mentioned the authority of the believer outside of this building. The people will think you lost your mind. They don't hear one sermon on the devil. And there's too many people out there that I'm, I prayed the prayer and I'm a Christian. He's not Lord. Thank you. Now, let's go back to Barbara's book. The day the Lord spoke to Jim and said, do you love me? He said, I don't believe a thing you say. Show me. He made another statement, and I want to go over it. I was hoping you were taking notes. And, um, I, and we may get into the Laodicean church. But even in this church, the laxness and the looseness is appalling. People miss church because your business is a church, because you give money to the church. Well, Paul, I mean the apostle Saul, the king, he didn't kill all the animals because he wanted to sacrifice them to God. But God didn't tell him to sacrifice the animals. He said, you kill them. He didn't ask you to stay out of church on Sunday so you can make money and put it in the church. Did he? No, he didn't. And, and the second thing that he said, and we need to pay attention, Satan has a plan. He has a plan to destroy you. Do you have a plan to not be destroyed? Is it include being lukewarm? Because he already has you. You're no threat. Your prayer life's not a threat. Your witnessing's no threat. Your Christianity's no threat. But when's it going to become a threat? When are you going to get to where the devil knows you by name? When are you going to stay? See, when it says build yourself up, own your most holy faith, why would you need to build yourself up? Because without it, you're not going to make it. Lukewarm ain't cutting it. Fire cuts it. And we need to talk a little bit more about the fire of God where we believe in speaking in tongues and running aisles and jumping pews, but when is that fire going to do something inside you? Amen. When's it going to turn you into a son of God? When do we get to see Jesus in your life? This is not name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. I want to read something to you um, because he made a statement and, and I don't want to preach a whole sermon on it because, you, you, number one, I don't, think you could, I don't think you could handle a sermon on this. I, I don't. Um, hmm. Let me see if I can find this spot.
Let me just read a little bit of this. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of your flesh, through lewdness. I'm reading now the New Testament. It's actually Bible. The ones who have escaped, who live in error, and they promise you liberty, and they are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollution of this world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, if they're entangled again, it would have been better if they had never been saved. What do we do with those scriptures? You just going to mark them out? It's quiet in this Baptist church. Are you just going to mark them out? There's, we, Lisa and I know, we know people who are spirit-filled, tongue-talking, party, dance at the cowboy, drink, raise hell, I'm a Christian. Really? This come to Jesus, pray a prayer, I'm saved. Really? When, when I married Lisa, we cut covenant. She's mine. I'm hers. I want to know where she is. I have a say-so in where she goes and what she does. I don't with everyone, but I do her. Does Jesus you? Is he Lord or is he just Savior? When does he get a choice on to saying, this is what I want out of you? Let's go back to the book that Jim wrote. When he asked him the question, do you love me? Well, yeah, I do. Well, then show me because I don't believe a word you say. And that was the day Jim laid his life, and he says, what is it you want me to do? Out of love for God. Started a ministry taking boxes of food to people. Now listen to me. When you, when you die, what does your house, your car, and your checkbook matter? It doesn't mean a thing in the world. Are you afraid he's going to mess your life up? Because your life's already messed up. He's not messing your life up. It may not go the way you thought it would, but I like something else he said on the video, and I hope you took the biggest problem he had was self. The biggest problem you face right now is, is self. What about me? When I heard the stats, 2% of all charismatics have actually led someone to the Lord. What happened to the Great Commission? What happened to the great commandment? Well, it's quiet in this church. I'm sorry. So anyway, this Baptist preacher goes to heaven, gets introduced to the, the devil, which he didn't know existed. Then he gets introduced to um, separation, consecration to God, and came back very different man. I think that we all should be very different you can, you can go to church and die spiritually, sitting in church. I preached a sermon, what, two weeks ago or a week before I left. Faith without a corresponding action is dead faith. If nobody can see your walk with God, you might not have one. Amen. And that means there's changes that need to be made. God's not impressed, nor should he just be impressed with you and me. 
He's not doing anything until we make some adjustments. We have a list of all the things we want him to do. We'll send it to Santa Claus. Because God has a list. He has a list of what he wants you to do. And that's Christianity 101. Now let's go back over something else he said. When you watch Hamas and you watch the world, it is very obvious Satan's running it. Any place. Why, so why is Hamas, why is, why is Satan in Israel, what's his point? He wants to stop the second return of Jesus. Yeah, Kenny, good luck. But yet you have Christians right now, they'll turn on the TV and say, well, those poor Palestinians who burned babies, threw them in ovens, cut babies out of mothers, that's demonic. There's only one way Israel will ever have peace, and that's to eliminate them. Now, I'm not saying Palestinians, but I'm talking about the ones that are that out their doctrine is to kill you. Yes. You can't make peace with someone wanting to kill you. But that's not the only place on the earth. We have a problem in America today. We have a problem in the church today. What is it? The Methodist church just voted on homosexuality? I hate to tell you, but they're all going to hell. Pastor and all. You say, well, that was the school I went to. Well, why don't you leave and start following God instead of the school you went to? Well, so-and-so church is my church. Why don't you change? So anyway, I like something that Barbara wrote in her book. The minute Jim Neff walked in this church, he said, something got on me. That something ain't everywhere. Now listen to me. We're in danger of losing it. He doesn't have to show up at your church. If you get loose and, and lukewarm, he doesn't have to come here either. I've had people, I'm talking men now, that I've had to go to privately. And what I'm going to say hurts me. And I asked them to leave certain women in the church alone. You don't kiss a woman that's not your wife. And yet... I did it alone because I couldn't, at the time, I couldn't find one Christian in this church to walk with me and go through that and help me with this person. I've had more than that happen. I've had, I've had other things happen where people would come to my office and try to straighten me out because I'm too rough with brother... <laughs> Gossip and sister blabmouth and and the moron family who's upset that I preach on tithing and have church members call me on the carpet for it. You're running people off. Then they might need to get run off. I'm not... Why, why did we ever think that compromise was the ticket to a good church? It never has been. 
We have a book. I mean, I didn't, I didn't write it. Even to this day, I don't think I would do this on a Sunday morning. Not in this church. I have to do it on a Wednesday night. I have to have the people that are going to at least stand behind me when I do do it on a Sunday morning. You want a move of God. Listen to me. God wants a move of God. I like something he said in the video. He says he realized that he had hurt God and that God had compassion on him. Sending him back was compassion. Giving him another chance was compassion. Because God wanted him saved. God wanted him right. Now, I don't know where else to go with this. We've got 15 extra minutes. I would like to open it up here and let you guys talk a little bit about anything that he said that you think that maybe we just need to bring up. The five points. Does anybody write them down? Number one, the Laodicean church. That's, I'm gonna, let's go over there because I want to start with that. I want to I make a statement to you about that. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to mention the person's name. That would not be right. It's a minister. Um, Revelation 3, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. This is church people. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. But then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. The literal Greek says, you make me puke. You make me sick. He's talking to a church. I, I say this because many years ago, a minister a very prominent minister in America, stood up in a pulpit and said, God doesn't judge today. He, all judgment went on Jesus. Well, the problem with him at that time, he has since repented and changed. Thank you, Jesus. Because he's confusing condemnation with judgment. When, when Tanya pulls you over, she doesn't have a license to damn you but she can write you a share revenue coupon. That's the difference. She can't kill you. She can't deport you. She's not allowed to. But she can judge you. The judgment is for your benefit. Judgment for a Christian is a good thing because it's God's way of waking you up and slapping you upside your head and going, don't keep doing that. You're going to wish you had stopped. So you want him to arrest you. You want the ticket. You, you want it. Better than, you know, I was watching, Tanya loved this. Well, uh, one of our nephews showed us a video of him on his motorcycle in Tennessee standing on it, doing about 60 miles an hour, standing in the seat, and uh, someone in the car was videoing him. And then we saw the video of him crashing. And his face was blood red. And someone at the table asked him, says, do, do, were you, did you have a helmet? And he said, I did not. They said, do you wear a helmet now? And he says, I always wear a helmet now. 
but he also is no longer stupid. There's a reason you don't fly down the road doing wheelies and standing on the back. There's a reason for laws. So you don't get red face and bloody face. His face looked like, I mean, it just looked like Jesus on the cross. I mean, he was just, he was beat to a frown. Did you get to see the picture? Okay. Um, thank God he's wised up. He's, he had another family member that had a motorcycle wreck and is half paralyzed. And there's a reason, there's a reason for laws. Um, there's a reason for laws in the Word of God. There's reasons for it. So let's finish reading this. And, and, and the word judgment is, is not in, in, a, in a, um, the Olympics. The people are judging the girl ice skating. They're not condemning her. But they are judging her. You did good. You did bad. Judgment is true. Now, let's, we'll read this. But because you say, I am rich, we're talking about Americans, and I am wealthy, and I have need of nothing. Don't you know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. What happens to gold when it's heated? It gets the impurities out. In other words, allow God to take you through some stuff that will clean you up. Now see, we, we faith and word people, we buck that. I didn't say he made you sick, but you've been through stuff and you know God led you into it. And it was not pleasant. And it was, it was to purify you. Because he's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. And he's not coming back for the church the way it is right this minute. Lukewarm, half-baked, can't figure out whether you're supposed to go to church on Sunday. Or go to the beach. Because you needed to look at the waves and have some peace. You lukewarm, backslidden thing. If you were in fellowship with God, you wouldn't need to go to the beach. Now go to the beach after you get back in fellowship with God. And don't do it on Sunday. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments that you'll be clothed. I thought they were saved. No comment. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve so you can see as many as I love, I what? Three people. I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Repentance is a New Testament word. He's dealing with judgment. He says, as many as I love, I, I judge, I deal with them, I chasten them. Chastening is not a popular subject in our society, in our faith and word, tell me who I am in Christ one more time this week. When are we going to go to the book of Hebrews and go on to maturity? You made me feel condemned. No, that's called conviction. I didn't kill you. I just made you feel bad. When your mother got on to you, you felt bad, but it was for your good. When, my, I, when I got on to the boys growing up, it was for their good. 
When God gets on to you, it's for your good. Don't leave church because somebody said something to hurt your feelings. Or they came in with a Trump hat on and you didn't like it. Don't you know your hat offended me? Don't you know your life offends me? You're pro-homosexuality. You're pro-lesbian. You're pro-not knowing what gender it is. You offend me. You offend God. Boy, that's quiet. I told you I was going to open up. I didn't. I still got 15 minutes. I got 14 minutes and 27 seconds. Barbara, fire away. Shaft. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) But it would come with tribulation. Yeah. And I don't think we really like that. We don't. We don't. And it's something that um, I... In my, as long as I've lived, I've seen people change, but it usually was never unless they went through something major. Yes. So why do we think then that that's not going to be the case? Correct. But he just, you know, he said that, and I thought, yes, you're right. It comes with tribulation, and we hear that that's what we're going to have to go through and how things are going to get. You know, I'll be honest, I'm not thrilled with tribulation myself. Yeah. But if the prize comes from that, then it, we should look at that differently. Yes. Amen. That's just what hit me when he said. Well, I have a lot of people come to me, Pastor, I'm going through a hard time. Pray for me. Pray for yourself. Maybe God is working on you. I'm saved. Yeah. Barely. But Barbara, you're right. When I, I've told the story many times about me taking this church. I had a very romantic, what, what's, the, what's the word I want? Hmm? I had unrealistic <laughs> expectations of you. I didn't know y'all would be a pain <laughs> to my flesh. And you were. But you know what? One of us had to grow up. God did not wait until I was mature to make a pastor out of me. He put me in it with all of my junk. And then he said, they will fix you. And they did. And then he told me he's not done with me yet. Amen. Don't shout me down. You know, I've been through some stuff. Mm. I don't want to ever go through it again. I wouldn't trade what I learned. Have you all ever opened up the door and let the devil in your life? Have you anybody here ever allowed him in? Have you ever looked back and went, what was I thinking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have been through things that I prayed for deliverance, and it didn't happen quick. God said, I'm going to let you eat it for a while so that you will remember your disobedience. Boy, this is good night, I told you. Rosa? Even with the tribulation that I have gone through, I feel that sometimes that even if you come to prayer, our God will send a word to you because if he, you know, like, uh, are you going to change the situation to become better? How are you going to work it? 
You know, are you going to go through that same thing or you know, whatever you're going through? Yeah. What are you going to do? I'm telling you, and then he would bring a word like, it's on you now. What are you going to change? Are you going to change how you talk? Are you going to change how you act? Are you going to change? What are you going to do? Yeah. You know, this, he brings to us, because even though he, he gives us the trials, he gives us a way to get out. But yeah. we have a choice. We have a choice Say to make it better. We, we have we, a choice. We have a choice. Amen. We have a choice. Right. Listen, quit trying to impress the world and your boss. Yeah. Impress God. Who else? Come on up here, Justin. Take a mic. Mighty deer hunter here. He said if you want the real power, you'll have to really walk in it and not just talk about it. So it'll, if you see a power in a person's life, it's because they actually practice what they preach behind closed doors versus they just talk the talk, kind of like he was saying, they pray in the spirit, but then they go live like hell, you know, the next day. So, you know, and even for me, it's kind of like constantly going through, all right, God, what's, where's changes in my life I need to make? So I'm, you know, it's like, what are we doing here if we don't have any power? We're just, you know, it's just a country club. And uh, I thought that was an, uh, a good statement that he said, if you want the power, you'll have to walk it and not just talk so about it. So why do you think people compromise the world? They do it to be accepted by lukewarm people. Do you understand what happens to you when you get on fire? You will have people who will no longer run around with you anymore. And you're going to have to make a decision. What about your marriage? Remember Smith Wigglesworth's wife? He threatened to throw her out, and he did. She said, I'm going to church, and she did. Came home that night. He locked her out. Now, some of y'all, what I'm going to tell you right now, you wouldn't do this because you're not saved enough. But when you've been with God, you'll do what she did. She woke up the next morning. He opened the door. She fell in and said, what do you want for breakfast? He got saved because of her. She wasn't a bee. Lock me out, you sorry dog, you. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go live with my mother. Don't shout me down. But I'm going to tell you something. She had been down this road before. And she was more interested in what God thought than what Smith thought. But Smith got right with God and became a mighty man of God because of her. Are you ready? Yes. Mike, are you wanting to say something? I mean, he's, he's, a, <laughs> he's communicating with Mike, with me. Okay. Who's next? We got, we got five minutes. Adam. You can just talk. Oh, okay. Um, where I was saying, as it was in the days of Noah, and he mentioned it, I wasn't able to write it down. But like how everyone in those times, besides Noah, was busy in the entertainment and the pleasures of the world. And I just wrote down, don't get distracted. You know, yes. For Noah knew his assignment. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. So it's important that we need to be knowing what we're supposed to be doing. We need to get with God and do it and not to get distracted from that. So I'm going to bring up something to you because I'm the prosperity preacher. Mm -hmm. 
What do you think it was like when I got born again and I was broke? I was broke. God got me a job. At CertainTeed, I was making more money than I ever made in my life, and a brand new home was $30,000. And the Lord says, go to Tulsa. Because the destiny was more important than a paycheck. What about the rich young ruler? Think about rich. He had no bathroom. He had no car. So his rich, if you're on welfare in America, you're richer than the rich young ruler. Because he didn't have a bathroom or an air conditioner or a refrigerator. He didn't have a washing machine, any of that stuff. But yet he swapped it for a relationship with the Lord. When do you decide that your fellowship with God trumps everything? It's time to start talking about this. It's time to really start thinking. This, I watched this today and I said, we, I'm going to do this tonight. I don't know how it's going to go over. They, they, may, they may never let me come back to my own church again. But this is stuff that I've, I've been, I've, I've, I've sat back and I've, I've read Rick Renner's stuff. He stays on this side more than anyone else. And John Bevere. Someone said, who's right, John Bevere or Mark? They're both right. Mark is telling you how to stay full of God. And John Bevere is telling you you need to fear God if you want to stay full of God. Revere God. And they're both right. But if there's something missing in American church today, it is a reverence for God. Now, I'm going to tell you something I hate. Sunday morning, I, I, when we start worship, I turn around and look at the stage because this building is a half. While you drag in 5, 10, 15 minutes late to church. And you wouldn't do that anywhere else on this planet. And you want to go, we want to move a God. You won't have one. Until there's a reverence for God. When someone's preaching, you're taking notes because you intend on doing it. Not just sitting here, I heard it, I believe it, I mentally assent. Amen. Fire away. You said keep your eyes on the eastern sky. What did he mean by that? Was that, like a, was that a metaphor? No, Jesus says something about the, when, he, when he returns, he's coming from the east. Um, y'all, y'all need to remember this. When Jesus returns, the earth is round. How do you know what time it'll be when everyone is in a different time? So is he going to come back by the hour? (laughs) He's coming back to Israel. That is to the east. (laughs) But, But yet I don't know the answer to that. But now listen, and the, here's, y'all want to hear something really, the only thing I've seen out of Noah that I really like, and it's the only place I've found seven years, is that God locked him in that ark seven days before the flood. It's the only place I've found in the whole Bible that says you have a time period from the rapture to the second, to the wrath of God, which is Armageddon. Armageddon's a wrath. There's nothing else happened. There's none of that's wrath. 
Armageddon's wrath. The rest of it's just trouble. Antichrist, the devil. Seven years is not the wrath of God. It's Satan trying to keep him from returning. New world order. I mean, if you couldn't handle COVID, you won't make it in the days ahead. You just, well, you know, we have to wear a mask. Really? Never mind, I'm going to stop right there. Who else? We have 30 seconds. Are y'all done? Correct. If he's planning, are you? Yes, good. He gave you weapons. What are they? Um, Let me think. One of them is, uh, I think it. Righteousness, right? Is it righteousness? You're done. (laughs) I'm going to go back to Tanya again. There's a reason they put a belt on her and a badge and a car and a vest. There's There's people out there. They're bad. Now, she may never need that vest. You pray she never needs that vest. But if she needs it, she needs it on. You need to have that breastplate of righteousness, and you need to know what it is, and you need to know how to use it, and you need to know how to use the sword, and you need to know how you, what, it, what is the helmet of salvation. Do you even know? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Why don't you go find out? What are the shoes? What are they? Never mind. I'm going to stop right there. I'm out of time. How'd we do tonight? How many of you feel like every once in a while we need to have services where we stop and go, God... I think I need to get some things right. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going. And there is no such thing as eternal security. It's, it was made up by the same people who said tongues is of the devil and healing is not for today. They have not gotten one doctrine right yet except Jesus is Lord. Boy, that was went over like a lead balloon. The Bible's full of don't fall away. Build yourself up. Jude, the whole book of Jude is about, this is what the book of Jude is about. Contending for the faith because people have crept into the church and said, it doesn't matter how you live. That's what the whole book of Jude is about. And it ends with, beloved, build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. People in church that have gone back in the world and they're under damnation and they're lost. And they come to church with you every Sunday morning. It, Book of Jude, it's in there. That went over real good. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the message you gave this, this man. I pray that, that tonight, I probably should have preached on being thankful, but I think we all are aware that we need to be thankful. That's the reason why Romans 1 said the whole world is messed up because they're not very thankful at all. They have everything and they complain all the time. I pray that we don't do that. But I pray, Father God, tonight that we walk out of here and and look back over this service and the things that you told this man to go preach. They're pretty strong. But I think it's important. 
I think you're serious about your church. I think you're serious about the world. And it's sad that only 2.5% of everyone that dies actually makes it. I pray that as a church, you help us change that. I pray that this church would stay on fire for God. This church would allow you to burn the chaff out. Let the Holy Spirit burn some stuff out of us and get us where we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, say amen or oh me. If I got on your toes, just go home, polish your shoes. Glory be to God. Jesus is Lord. Y'all get out of here and have a great Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much. Don't forget to set your scales back 15 pounds tonight. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.